you so very much for that special music. It's Christ-honoring in every way. I'm grateful for that. Pastor Mark, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Thank the praise team for all that they've done. Can we just give them a hand, a hand clap of praise this morning? Just so grateful for their dedication. Sound guys, video guys, thank the Lord for you and gals, I guess, perhaps out there. Uh, appreciate you and all of your commitment and faithfulness. Appreciate this staff at Lone Oak First Baptist Church. Aren't they great? They do a great job with every single thing they do. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Appreciate them. And uh, Pastor Jeff, thank you so very much. I think he moved around somewhere, but uh, appreciate him and his hospitality this morning. He's just uh, been a blessing to me and a great encouragement. So grateful for them. Thank you, Lone Oak First Baptist Church, for your great impact in kingdom work, uh, not only in Kentucky, but in the whole uh, work of the Southern Baptist Convention. You are a constant leader in every way in Kentucky Baptist work and Southern Baptist work. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your giving, cooperative program uh, work. Uh, Every single offering, you're contributing a great deal to the work of ministry through the cooperative program. So missionaries, as you've seen, uh, can hear, and unreached people groups can be reached. People groups can be uh, continually encouraged and discipled. Uh, disaster relief workers can have their resources. Your cooperative program money uh, provides that. Of course, that is just in a personal way, I think, for many of you, uh, all of us, has really hit home. And your cooperative program dollars allows them to do the work that they, they need to do. Seminary students can go to school for a discounted rate. I was a uh, Benefit from that, Pastor Dan, many others have benefited from that, and so thank you, thank you for giving, thank you for giving in the work, because as a, a staff member uh, with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, I can do the work I do because you give, and uh, Eastern Kentucky is where my assignment is, I'm able to, well, really all of Kentucky, but just for the sake of <clears throat> kind of responsibilities, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, I serve churches, pastors, and church leaders, and so uh, I'm able to drive and meet with churches, encourage them in the work of evangelism. Evangelism meaning uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and power of the Holy Spirit with a view to reach people, to see and hear and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, church, for all that you do, and uh, I'm grateful for your great work in, in, in every way. I want to take uh, privilege, if you will, to just say thank you to your pastor, Pastor Dan Summerlin. I am extremely grateful for him and, and his life. I must say many of you probably don't know this, but uh, again, personal privilege here. Uh, going back to 2006, 2006, I received a phone call. I think I was sitting at my in-law's house. In fact, I remember it and received a phone call from Kentucky Baptist Convention employee. And they were asking me, Ian, would you mind coming to be a part of a group? We're going to call it evangelism coaching. And it's going to be four or five uh, mentees. And I was about, so I was serving in my first church at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Ballard County. Y'all know where Ballard County is, don't you? Just right down the road, I was serving there and didn't have any idea what I was doing. Still don't, but I'm just, I've learned through mistakes and everything like that. And serving there and received a phone call. And um, would you like to be a part of this group? You're going to up with a mentor and that mentor is going to invest in your life and he's going to lead you and help you and keep you accountable in evangelism and uh pastor dan summerlin in 2006 became my my mentor i've walked down these halls of this church probably more than maybe any other church outside of the ones i've served in the pastorate probably walked up and down these halls more than any others i look out and see some staff members that have served me through water and coffee and just made me feel uh so encouraged every time i've walked in here at least monthly and so thank you personally for you sitting out there to see some of you thank you church for allowing pastor dan to invest in my life he has done that since 2006 
Uh, when I moved into this role, he was a vital part in helping me understand the ins and outs of what this role would look like. And uh, his encouragement uh, has been uh, felt in, in my life in, in every single way. With the exception of four years, when I moved off to Kansas City to go to uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Pastor Dan has been a constant voice of, of mentorship in my life, probably to the degree that I, I would uh, could stand here today. There's no greater mentor in my life than Pastor Dan Summerlin. Every major change I've made in my life uh, from 2006, Pastor Dan Summerlin has prayed me through it, helped me through it, encouraged me through it, told me the positives and and the negatives of what that may look like. And so I just got to brag on your pastor. He's a man of God. And if he said charge this morning, I'd be the first man to dive head first because I know he has made a calculated call. Uh, that's the caliber of pastor that you have. Not only great in the Kentucky Baptist Convention, but Pastor Dan Summerlin is great uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. He's serving a great church here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church in the Southern Baptist Convention. Could we just celebrate him this morning and thank the Lord for him? I praise the Lord for him in every single way. He's a man that follows God, and because he follows God, we can all follow, follow him in leadership. So thank you so very much. If you got your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4, find your way to verse 27. John 4, verse 27. I'll read through verse number 38 this morning, and I'm going to speak to you as it's been noted, as you see in your bulletin uh, and uh, everything else. I want to speak to you on the, on the uh, subject entitled, The Urgency of the Good News. The Urgency of the Good News of the good news, whether you're here with us watching online, to speak on the urgency of the good news. When Pastor Dan Summerlin asked me to fill in, I, I got to pinch myself just to kind of come to the reality that I'm here standing in this great pulpit where many great preachers and pastors have stood and great work since 1880 has gone on here in this community, in this state, and in the world. You proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. I thought, what in the world do you preach on the day after Christmas? I guess you preach on Jesus. That's a, that's a good thing. Amen? Open your Bible up. That, that's a good thing, but when you're kind of a, you know, a one-hit wonder here to some degree, you got a lot to pick from in the Bible. And I thought, well, here we go. I'm day after Christmas and looking at 2022, and I thought, boy, God, the Holy Spirit just really led me down the road to think about what does it mean to be mutually encouraged in sharing the good news? And not only sharing the good news, but sensing in every way from the mission and conviction of Jesus Christ, the urgency of the good news. John 4 27, the Bible says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And notice these words, verse 32. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, I love it, but they had their own business meeting right here in the middle of nowhere. They asked the question, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, for in this the saying is true, one sows 
and another reaps. I sent you, disciples, to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Would you join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the message this morning. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray today that more than anything I could ever say, your word would be heard in every way. I pray that we would feel and sense the encouragement, conviction of Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, that we celebrate every day, and especially maybe in light of this season. So grateful for his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And Father, the commission, the great commission that he has given to us. Father, may we be mutually encouraged through what you've called us to do in this weary and busy world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, Some of us probably have said from time to time because of maybe fear or excitement in our life, I feel like I need to sleep with one eye open. And too bad it's impossible for us to really do that, or is it? There's a thing called, and I've learned, unihemispheric slow-wave sleep. This is an actual phenomenon in nature whereby a creature can split its consciousness in two, with half of its brain sleeping while the other remains wakeful. A great example of this is found in seals, porpoises, sea lions, and dolphins. They can do this while they're underwater. For reasons beyond, I guess, the boring, maybe, context of the conversation that may include, and certainly the time we have here. But they can actually sleep with one eye open. Now, certainly, again, that is physically impossible for us to do, although I am somewhat convinced that if you've been a chaperone at a children's camp or youth camp, you've probably done that before because you've been terrified of what's going to happen while you sleep. So you, some of you would challenge that to say, I have been able to do that before. While it is physically impossible for us to do this, what we notice from this passage of Scripture this morning from the words of Christ, he himself says, what does he say in these latter verses? What does he tell the disciples to do? To do what? To lift up their eyes and to look upon the fields, upon the harvest fields. He's calling them to live with both eyes lifted up and both eyes open on the opportunity. And of course, for our understanding by way of introduction, the context of the scripture, it's for those that are lost, those that are not Christians that are around the disciples and their conversation that they're having. And what he tells them is that the harvest is great. So live with both eyes open. We might even say that the urgency is so great in this passage of Scripture that although living or or sleeping with one eye open is physically impossible for us to do, spiritually speaking, Jesus might be telling us to live and sleep and breathe with your eyes open at all times on the harvest field because that is the task at hand for the Christian person and the church member, and the individual that's been called by God to think about every place that your foot may step and to look out at those that do not have a relationship with Christ. Of course, in the context of Scripture, we find ourselves dropped right down in the middle of a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. Now, for our understanding, very simply this morning, culturally and socially, it was probably not very appropriate or even called for for Jesus to have a conversation with this woman, especially we might say a Samaritan woman. 
But Jesus came to save the Jew and the, the Greek and the rich and the poor, and he came for all people, men and women everywhere that are lost. He came to save them. And so Jesus is having this conversation with this Samaritan woman. In verse number 8 of John chapter 4, you will note that before Jesus has a conversation with this Samaritan woman, the disciples had gone into town to buy them something to eat. Y'all know what that's like. You've done that. You probably did that multiple times over uh, this holiday season. I forgot this. I forgot that. So you went into town to get something to eat. As they were exiting, the disciples, in walks a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, of course, in that context, uses every resource available, even water, to tell the story of his good grace. That if that woman would receive Jesus Christ himself as Lord and Savior, she would drink from a well that never runs dry. Her life would be transformed by what he has come to do for her, that is to give his life for her. And as he's had this conversation, the Samaritan woman walks back into town to share the good news with, the Bible says, some men there. And in the context of that, the disciples come back in. It's a very fascinating uh, passage of Scripture. Because what we see, among other things, is this Samaritan woman, which by every account there in that context would be an outsider. The disciples were supposed to be the insiders, but they're really flip-flopped in this moment. It's like the disciples become the outsiders, and the Samaritan Samaritan gets it. She becomes an insider. Because as the disciples come back into town, they've got food. And they say, what, Jesus? Eat this food. And in that moment, Jesus says, no, 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 wait. You, you've missed something here. I'm not about the food. I'm about doing something greater. That is the Father's business. Now, most of us here today, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand the urgency of the good news that we've been given in Jesus Christ. You understand the call to preach the gospel to all the nations, even here in Lone Oak and McCracken County and Kentucky and beyond. But I've got a question this morning to ask you. Does what we believe about evangelism and what we practice in evangelism match up? Because if they don't match up, then there's something wrong somewhere. There's an obstacle in the way. There's a change that we need to make. Because we believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen, Lone Oak First Baptist Church. We believe that Jesus came to save sinners from their sins. And we believe that if a man or woman, boy or girl, dies without Jesus Christ in their heart, that they'll be eternally separated from ever from God himself. And Jesus came to bridge the gap for all men and women, boys and girls that would place their faith and trust in him. But the question that we have to wrestle with this morning, are we really urgent? Are we really sensitive to sharing this good news with those around us? And if not, why not? I love Jesus here because in this passage of Scripture, what we see is this point of encouragement that he gives, point of conviction that he gives to the disciples. And we see in the conviction, mission, and instruction of Jesus Christ, we see an urgent engagement in the harvest fields, understanding that we don't have to wait very long at all. We don't have to wait one second more to understand that right outside of these walls of Lone Oak First Baptist Church, there are lost people everywhere. All the way to the unreached people group somewhere, what we might consider far away, that has never heard the name of Jesus before. In our hearts and our minds and all of our beings ought to be engaged in what can we do to get the gospel to the nations even across the street to our neighbor there's a point of urgency here 
And this morning, I want to quickly look at three reasons why we should be urgent, three reasons why we should be urgent in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to walk you, hopefully, very clearly and methodically through this passage of Scripture and look at three reasons why you and I should be urgent in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Number one, we should be urgent, if you're taking notes, we should be urgent in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because of the priority of the harvest. Because of the priority of the harvest. As it was mentioned here a few moments ago from Pastor Mark, I took up running some time ago. I just kind of tripped and stumbled into it. Didn't have any gold, didn't do a couch of 5K or anything, although that's not a bad thing. Some of you are gearing up January 1, amen? Amen. All right, there we go. That French fry he's talking about, brother. I mean, as soon as you said that, somebody in this congregation thought, I'm going to make him some cookies when I get home. That's what kind of church this is, I know. Somebody said, I, he ain't going to get away with this. We're not going to let him burn off a fry. Started running several years ago, and so I've kind of just taken up, you know, just kind of, I guess, a attention with that and just a hobby, and I can't do anything with a ball, can't throw a ball, you know, or anything like that, can't catch a ball hardly. And, but I got two feet, and I figured out I could walk, jog, and run, and just kind of tr- stumbled into it. Many of you probably heard the name of Usain Bolt. Have you heard the name of Usain Bolt before? He has the title of the fastest man alive. It took him less than 10 seconds to run 100 meters in the Olympic track and field to win ultimately the gold in London. Less than 10 seconds to run and to have the title of world's fastest man. Here's what we got to understand about this. Usain Bolt really didn't win that race in 10 seconds. And we've got some folks here, I believe, that are track and field and run before, and you understand, uh, uh, you know, uh, games and things like that. Many of you basketball players, football players, you understand this dynamic. You see, Usain Bolt did not win that race in less than 10 seconds. Actually, it is years of preparation that won that for him. You see, for Usain Bolt and really any Olympic athlete or any athlete at all, it's not in performance that wins, it's in preparation that wins. Because here's what we know from Usain Bolt and from anybody in here that has a discipline at all. It's about preparation. It's about priorities in your life that will cause you to rearrange everything else so that you get the main thing done. It's about making a priority in your life to accomplish a goal, and that does not come out of the air somewhere. It takes years, for the most part, we might say years and years and years, of making something a priority in your life. It is about preparation that makes all the difference. Here's what we see from Jesus. Jesus says in verse number 33, really starting in verse 32, but going down to 33 and 34, Jesus makes this statement. Look at your Bible in 34. He tells the disciples in this very confused state that they're in, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus is really addressing three things about this priority. First of all, there was a great misperception. The disciples had this great misperception about food. The disciples were focused on food. They were saying, Jesus, eat. And Jesus was saying, I don't want to eat because I have something greater at hand. The priority was doing what? The Father's business. He was talking about gratification because in this context, he would say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, some of you right now have got bellies that are growling. You know what happens when your belly growls? It drives you to find that French fry somewhere, brother. Amen? That Big Mac somewhere. That hunger drives you to fulfill that need. 
What does Jesus say? What about gratification, satisfaction that Jesus says? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You see, the desire, the pain in his heart and soul, if you will, the burden in Jesus' life was to do the Father's will. And because of that, it drove him to find that food, to find that satisfaction that would ultimately meet that need in his life. And we learn from the context of what we read in the very beginning, that Need was fulfilled and satisfied by walking with the Father, by doing the Father's will, because that's precisely what Jesus says. But then there's a point of dedication because Jesus says, I'm going to finish the work that he gave me to do. That work is ultimately dying on a cross, shedding his blood, going to a borrowed tomb, and after three days, arising from the dead and ascending back up into heaven, where even now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, in this moment, the disciples are urging Jesus to eat the food that they're offering, but he's turning it down. It's not because it's bad. No food is good. Somebody say amen. Rather, Jesus is teaching a very vital lesson that will lend itself to the harvest field and evangelization. It's the hunger pains that he feels in his soul, if you will, in his, in his, in his whole body. They're driving him to do what the Father wants. And the only way these hunger pains are fulfilled, fulfilled according to Jesus is to do the Father's will. You see, when you examine the life of Christ in the Gospels, you notice several things about this priority. No matter where he was or what circumstance he was in, Jesus is always making the Father's business a priority. It was to finish his work. So let's examine a few of these real quick, if you'll allow me to do that. In the beginning, we heard this morning in John 1.1, he was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. In the water, as he was baptized, you were, some of you remember this, what happened, the voice from heaven that was declared, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. In the temple, as a young man, Jesus would be sitting there. Joseph and Mary would come up after losing him, and guess what he would say? Some of you remember this, he was sitting in the temple, and what was he doing? He was all about the Father's what? Business. Oh, let's not stop there because in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus finds himself in the final hours of his life with terrible suffering, many of you are walking with me in this. You understand what Jesus said. You will recall what Jesus said in that moment where drops of blood are pouring from his pores because of the great weight of the sin that he's looking at to behold and take upon himself for you and I, although he was sinless in every way. He would put himself on the cross as he looked to a cross where he would bear the wrath of God in that moment. You know what he said? He said, not my will but your will be done in the tomb lying dead he heard the father's call that called him to life and in the ascension going back up into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the father being glorified forever through the host of many that are saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty what's my point in all of this our savior had a priority and the priority was the father's will and I want you to get this before we move on. Urgent evangelization comes from proper sanctification. Urgent evangelization will always come, I believe, we learn from Scripture, from proper sanctification. You see, sanctification really undergirds it. It's the foundation for evangelization. What we see here is Jesus gives a very narrow insight into evangelizing, into engaging the harvest fields. 
This insight that he gives comes from a proper relationship with the Father. Because before he ever says anything about lifting up, his, lifting up their eyes, you know what he tells them? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Practicing evangelism for the sake of evangelism, sharing the good news for the sake of sharing the good news, in and of itself is not the goal. You know what the goal is? The goal is the glory of God. It is pleasing the Father that is in this goal because anybody that comes from death to life that walks out of darkness into the light of Christ ultimately glorifies God. Our evangelism, the sharing of good news, I believe with all of my heart will be a lot easier when we walk with God, reading the scriptures, praying, in fellowship with the church, being held accountable. It is literally the daily steps of walking with God, doing the Father's business, hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that is in Christ. When we hunger and thirst for more of God, incredibly something happens in our heart. All of a sudden, I believe we're prepared to lift up our eyes and look on the fields, and then we're propelled to share the same gospel that saved us with the gospel that many people need all around us. It's a priority. And we see we should be urgent because of the priority of the Father's business. But not only that, we see very quickly number two. We see number two, we should be urgent in sharing the good news because of the people in the harvest. It's not only the priority of the harvest, but you see the people in the harvest. Look at verse 35. He goes on to say, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. You know what, he, you know what Jesus is saying? Don't see the crowds, but see the people in the crowds. Because when you look at the harvest, this is not like a, a crop per se. Jesus is engaging their mind and their heart with this understanding that, oh yeah, when I lift up my eyes and as if I see the grain harvest, I see people harvest and the people harvest is really brought to a harvest point by them receiving the good news that I share with them to the degree that all of heaven rejoices over that sinner that repents. You know what he does? He, he corrects a miscalculation. Because he says, do you not say there are still four months? Commentators tell us it's probably January, February perhaps in our understanding of when Jesus would be having this conversation. The harvest for them in this time frame would be maybe April, March or April, May, something around there, about four months. And so Jesus uses, as he does often, he uses a very physical illustration, earthly illustration to teach a great kingdom truth. And this miscalculation, he really corrects by telling them, now is the time to engage the harvest fields. Lone Oak First Baptist Church, we don't say, I'm going to wait for a good opportunity to engage the harvest fields. Lone Oak, we engage the harvest fields anytime God gives us an opportunity. And that opportunity is now wherever your feet are at that moment. I love what William Carey said. William Carey said this, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. Because the open Bible is our marching orders. That open map represents people everywhere, near and far. Jesus has taught the priority. He's taught a priority will always lend itself to sharing the, the good news, the urgency of that. Don't wait any longer than right now, Jesus would say. It's important for us to finish the Father's business. 
And then the next thing he would say in verse 35, he gives two imperatives in this verse. He says, first of all, he says, I want you to lift. That's an imperative. It's not an option. He's telling me, command, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest field. It's a, it's a method. It's a call to explore the harvest fields, to gaze upon the fields, to look upon the lostness all around. You might remember, I believe this church, you went through the book of Acts, maybe on Sunday evenings, Pastor Dan was teaching the book of Acts. You might remember Acts chapter 16, either through that study or otherwise, where the Apostle Paul was seeking to fulfill the Father's will, and he was trying to go different areas. And every time he would try to go one way, God would say, the Holy Spirit would say, nope, not going here, Paul. Paul would try to go this way, and nope, not here. But then you'll recall that vision in the night. I'm oh, talking about sleeping with one eye open. A vision in the night in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul sees a man in Macedonia and the man in Macedonia is saying, come over here and help us. Isn't it amazing what Paul teaches us in light of what Jesus has taught? That when you walk with the father seeking the father's will, God makes it very clear where you ought to be, when you need to be there and who you need to be sharing with. For Paul, it was Macedonia. And so what Paul did is he responded to that call and he went to Macedonia to share. Listen, with people, everything going on First Baptist Church, listen, everything that we do serves people. Every program we have, every ministry we do, every facility we have, it's always about serving people. It's about looking at the field. It's about lost souls that need to be won to Christ. Our Savior, it's about nothing else. By illustration, Joshua Project tells us, Joshua Project is a mission website, mission organization that really promotes and describes and advances the call to reach the unreached people groups. You've, I praise the Lord for your great giving and Lottie Moon Christmas offer over 100000 dollars. And I know you're going to meet your goal as you work that way. It's an incredible goal to fund and uh, reach out to those that are lost without Christ. Praise the Lord for that. According to the Joshua Project, listen to this number very quickly. 7.48 billion people in the world. That's a population. 7.48 billion people. The best statistics that we have tell us that 3.28 billion people are lost without Jesus Christ. I said billion, not million. That seems to be pretty weighty, but let's bring it down maybe across the street because that ought to be enough in many ways, but let's bring it across the street. McCracken County, the best statistics I could find, the population of McCracken County is 67,875. According to various studies through Pew Research, Lifeway Research, and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary Project that was done, Again, these are percentages, so I know there's always pushback. What about this? What about that? And I'm all about the what ifs and thinking through that and praying through that and trying to be strategic and how we can reach as many people as we can. But those statistics tell us that about 61 to 64% of that number, 67,875, they're lost. So that tells us that it could be a number of 40,000 people plus in McCracken County are lost on their way to hell without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, we have an imperative call in our life, Lone Oak First Baptist Church, to do what? What is Jesus telling us to do? To be about the Father's business, but to lift up your eyes and look. 
And wherever you are is your mission field. Wherever your feet are after this service is your mission field. Wherever God is calling you is your mission field. God may be calling some of you young folks to forsake all and move to an unreached people group to engage them and share the gospel with them. But for many of you, you're going to be a, uh, you're a teacher. You're going to be a, uh, the medical profession. You're going to reach people where you are. But lift up your eyes and see and know the lostness all around you because it is so great. We must not be content with what we see here, Lone Oak, but our knees must go to a place of prayer and our heart must be broken over lostness all around us. Lone Oak, we've got an opportunity before us. It's a big opportunity before us to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get excited for what we're called to do. And lastly, and we're done very quickly, number three, we should be urgent in sharing the good news because of the priority, because of the people, but number three, because of the partnership of the harvest. Because of the partnership of the harvest. As I said, I was runner. I've run river to river relay uh, in Southern Illinois. Has anybody ever run river to river relay in here? Anybody want to admit it? You, you got to be crazy to do this stuff, but that's that's who I am, so I fit it very well. River river to river relay is run across Southern Illinois. I've run it two times over. Somebody invited me to be a part of that team. What it is, it involves eight people on a running team. You start at the Mississippi River uh, on the Illinois Illinois there, and you run all the way to the Ohio River, river to river relay. What it involves, most teams have a van that they ride in, and uh, eight people there will ride in one van. You'll ride all the way across Southern Illinois. What you do is at the first checkpoint, you drop a runner off. That runner runs to the second checkpoint. Runner number two gets out, takes a baton, runs to runner three, and you just drive ahead of it. You just wait for your runner at each checkpoint until you get to the Ohio River where everybody celebrates and says, amen, when are we going to do it again, you know, after we take a little break, of course. Man, there's a lot of different runners in that running group, a lot of different speeds. Not everybody's the same pace. Everybody's got the same, same goal, but everybody's running a different lane, if you will. Everybody looks different. Everybody acts different. Everybody runs a different pace. One thing we notice in the River to River Relay that's very important is the baton. That baton's important because that shows you the connectivity of the team, the partnership that you have. And so from runner to runner, you hand that baton over and you run a little bit further down the road until you finish the race. Now listen, this baton uh, in river to river relay is not like an Olympic, uh, uh, for an Olympic team where if you drop it on the run, you might be disqualified. But what this baton represents is an unbroken chain of partnership and the unbroken cha chain of one go, and that's to finish the race. What Jesus does in closing here is he tells the disciples that you are in a great partnership in engaging the harvest fields. Because what he does is he talks about the reward, the reward being soul saved. He talks about the rejoicing. The rejoicing is the sower and the reaper get to rejoice together. That is somebody is going to engage the fields and then you're going to walk in that field because somebody else was faithful to do their work. And when you enter that field, you're going to reap a harvest that you didn't even work for, but somebody else worked for that. And then you see the reproduction. Jesus talks about how you multiply this over and over and over again. The disciples were learning a valuable lesson that we are urgent in the harvest field. We are urgent in the fields because we're a part of a harvest. Listen, Lone Oak First Baptist Church, I believe your mission, your vision, your core values here are exalt Christ, make disciples, and pass the torch. Amen. All right, Pastor Dan, I'm going to give an update for Pastor Dan. Hey, y'all did. Pass the torch. That's exactly right. Why is it important to pass the torch? Because it's important for the next generation to enter in a field that you worked for. 
And as you work and labor in that field, you're working in a field and sowing seeds of the gospel in the field that someday somebody else is going to enter into your work and you're going to be able to, because of your work, allow a great harvest to come to pass for the glory of God. Long Oak First Baptist Church, what you do matters. Every person in here is a member of this church. Listen, you matter. Every person in here, if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you matter. And you can be saved this morning by the grace of God. And you can join this church and be a part of partnership in this church. If you're in this church this morning, in this building, and you're not a member of this church, and you're saved, and you've been praying about becoming a member, this is a good church to join, to get on this team, this local church team, to partner in the harvest fields of reaching Lone Oak, McCracken County, Kentucky, and the world for Jesus Christ. This church was founded in the year of 1880. Since 1880, Lone Oak First Baptist Church has been heralding the gospel locally and globally. Since 1880, you've been preaching the gospel. Since 1880, you've been making a difference in people's lives. January 30th, 1966, this church, this church was actually located on College Street. A fire took the building. Some of you remember that. His, history teaches you that. Some, some of you may not know that at all. But you decided to relocate from where you were to where you are right now. In 1967, you would begin worshiping here. Thousands of souls have been saved in this building just like they were in that building. Listen, preachers and missionaries have went out from this building just like they went out from that building. Millions of dollars have been given for mission work so that unreached people groups could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and so that they could be saved in this church just like there was down the road in that church. You see, Lone Oak First Baptist Church, listen, you're standing on the shoulders of giants where people have labored before you and now you're called to be sitting here today laboring in the same field that they were laboring in you may have only been a member here one week two weeks two months three years I don't know you're laboring in a field that others have labored in but I want you to know something you're so valuable and the torch that you carry is so important that you don't need to let that light go out and you don't need to drop that baton as you go because you're making a difference because someday when you draw your final breath and Jesus calls you home somebody else is going going to come in behind you and guess what they're going to enter into a field that you are laboring in and there's going to be a great harvest that's going to come because you were faithful listen Jesus this morning is not calling all stars Jesus this morning is not calling eloquent men and women Jesus this morning is not calling the super smart Jesus is calling you this morning to fulfill his will by making it a priority by being about people lost people around you and what he does is he uses faithful available and teachable people that will engage the fields this morning he's calling you and I to be simply obedient where our feet are to share the good news of Jesus Christ before it is everlasting too late. There have been a lot of people that stood on this stage. There have been a lot of people that you know and you respect, but I'm telling you there are thousands of people since 1880 that have been a part of Lone Oak First Baptist Church. The Bills and the Toms and the Junes and the Samanthas that you don't know, but they were faithful. And this morning, there's some of you that nobody else may see you, but God sees you. Lone Oak has lost people. McCracken County has lost people. Kentucky has lost people. The United States and the world has lost people. This morning, let's all pick up this torch. Let's be faithful to partner together for the glory of God. And let's carry this in our leg of the race until Jesus calls us home. As Pastor Mark and the worship team comes forward, we close with invitation. This morning, I don't know where you're at and the priority and the people, the partnership.
Maybe you're here this morning and God's calling you into ministry, vocational ministry. God is dealing with your heart to be about his business such a, to a degree that he's calling you out to take the torch in a very unique way to people that need to hear Jesus, to equip others, to equip the church. You need to come forward. This is a response time, an invitation time. Maybe you just need to find some help. Maybe you got some questions. If these pastors, myself, I'd be glad to help any way that I can. This morning, many church members here, God's calling you to be faithful. And God stirred your heart over who you're around and the opportunities that you have. And you just want to pray, God, help me. Come pray. Some of you here this morning, you're not a member of this church. You've been praying about it. And this morning, I believe that God's calling you to, to be a part, to hold a torch in this church, to exalt Christ, make disciples, and carry the torch while you're here. You've got a great staff, got a great church. Maybe God's calling you to come join, be a part of this church. Maybe you're here and you're lost. You are the harvest field. And the Holy Spirit of God has dealt with your heart. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You say, how do I become a Christian then? Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And confess him before all men and women. By faith alone, grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you can be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. After I get done praying here, you're all going to stand. This is the time for you to respond. You come forward. We'll be glad to help any way we can in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and making it urgent. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for the word of God. I pray as you stir our hearts to a point that we would not be content, but God, that we would follow you and share the good news, any opportunity you give to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.